If you're a firing battery, you have to move quickly and constantly. You cannot stay in the same location and you have to expect there's going to be periods of disconnectivity and you have to be able to operate in that and still deliver fires, still know where you are, still have the right information at your fingertips. Having modern and fast technology is crucial for any organization. But when it comes to our national defense, being outdated simply isn't an option. We never want to send our soldiers into a fair fight. We want them to have the advantage and for our adversaries to not even want to pick a fight with us because we have such an advantage. But to be ahead is only getting more complicated. The battlefield is growing. We've always had land, air, and sea, and now we've added space and cyber. And that's a pretty big change when you're when you're not used to taking those things into your calculus of decision-making and how to operate. That's why Lidos is working hard in partnership with the United States Department of Defense to ensure there's no opportunity to fall behind. We really recognize change as the norm, not the exception. On today's episode, we welcome John George, Vice President and Army Senior Account Executive, and Dan McCormick, Program Manager at C4ISR Solutions. They join us to share how Lidos is working with the U.S. Army on Project Convergence, and in turn with the DOD on Joint All-Domain Command and Control, or JADC2. We'll learn more about Lidos' digital modernization approach in a defense environment, why the cloud plays such a crucial role, and a lot more. My name is Shante Newby. This is Mindset, a podcast by Lidos. In this series, our goal is to have you walk away from every episode with a new understanding of the complex and fascinating technological advancement going on at Lidos. From space IT to trusted AI to threat-informed cybersecurity, we've got a lot going on, and we're excited to share it with you. I want to start off by getting to know the two of you a bit better. John, let's start with you. Can you tell me about your military background first? So uh, I uh, retired just over a year ago from the Army. My last command was the Combat Capabilities Development Command under the Army Futures Command. And so essentially that, that command's responsible for all the research and development, or most of the research and development for the Army to solve its har- hardest problems. And what do you do at Lidos? As the Army Strategic Account Executive, I look at the Army as a Lidos customer and uh, you know, generally make sure that between our company and the Army, we have a trusted and transparent relationship, that we have the right conversation so the company understands what the Army's capability gaps are and what they're trying to achieve, and also help across all of our product lines, help the company understand vice versa, what the Army uh, needs and in the context that it needs those capabilities. Dan, you also have an impressive military background. Can you share a bit about that with us? I actually spent 10 years in the Air Force, special weapons and special operations, and then switched over to the Army. OCS graduate, and then 11 years in the Army, most of that in the Army National Guard, but also a tour at the Mounted Warfighting Battlespace Lab, specializing in digital modernization a long time ago. So I do have uh, 21 years total service. And what do you do at Lidos? As a senior program manager for fires modernization, I'm the uh, single point of communication, everything from contracts to uh, technical data to communications with the customer to intra communications with our team and also collaboration with our Lidos partners and supporting organizations uh, on the fires modernization efforts. Let's get into what Project Convergence is. What can you tell me? So in simple terms, 
Project Convergence is an experiment, um, and it's it's spearheaded by the Army's Futures Command, uh, and it's referred to as a combined joint force experiment, meaning combined is it includes our allies and our partners, and in this case, the UK and Australia are a part of the experiment, and joint means it's got all of our partners from the joint force, Air Force, Navy, Marines, etc. And the purpose of the experiment is for that joint force to develop offensive and defensive capabilities so that it can deter future adversaries in large ground combat operations or large-scale ground combat operations. Focuses on delivering effects. And what's important for the Army as a experiment is with speed, the range that's required, convergence of capabilities, and uh, developing decision dominance. So, and that's to achieve what we call overmatch uh, and to inform how the joint force will fight together in the future to be dominant and to achieve, as you said, Joint All-Domain Command and Control, or JADC2 is, is the way we uh, refer to it. And really, it's a campaign of learning. It's not just a one-and-done thing. Uh, it leverages a series of these joint experiments, multi-domain engagements, and uh, a couple of the key facets is, is to integrate artificial intelligence, robotics, autonomy, to do things like improve uh, battlefield situational awareness, and to connect sensors with shooters across a wide variety of networks, and then to accelerate the decision-making time uh, for the commanders on the ground. I understand this is relatively new. Can you take us back in time a few years and tell us about when it was realized there was a need for this? In 2019, Army's Futures Command started this uh, Project Convergence. Uh, Army Futures Command was new at the time. It had just been established in 2018. And the leadership saw uh, the need to integrate and experiment with these, all these new capabilities coming online and those things that are under development uh, to make sure that the disparate new capabilities and these systems could talk to each other. And it was uh, just a few systems, a few mission threads. And then the realization, you know, the, that aha moment that uh, some of the senior leaders had was uh, when we saw this for the first time, that we really need to expand this. How is Project Convergence related to JADC2? I think this is important because contextually you have to understand what the Army is trying to accomplish. So again, JADC2, that's how DOD views how the forces operate together is joint all-domain command and control. It's a concept, uh, and now it's a strategy that the, the Department of Defense is driving towards in order to provide a, uh, an approach for the warfighters across the different services when they're engaged or preparing to engage in conflict to sense, make sense, and then act at all levels and phases of war. And, and that's across all domains and with our partners. We've always had land, air, and sea. And now we've added space and cyber, and that's pretty uh, a, a pretty big change when you're when you're not used to taking those things into your calculus of decision making and how to operate. So I guess in the simplest terms, if you think about for the Army, JADC2 is is being able to use all of the sensors available to get information to the best shooter through the right command and control node, and by the shoot by shooter. It's not just kinetic effects. It's not just putting rounds down range. Now you, we also have to think about cyber, EW, and information too. You mentioned the word overmatch. So I'm curious, what is meant by overmatch? And how is the Army's experimentation supporting this ongoing objective? No, it's, a, it's a great question. And uh, it's one that people get confused about easily. So I just want to kind of clarify up front this term overmatch. You know, a lot of listeners have probably heard about Project Overmatch. So we have Project Convergence in the Army, 
Project Overmatch, in its simplest term, is is the Navy's version version really of Project Convergence. Uh, it's it's one way that the Navy's learning about the same sorts of things with joint all domain control, command and control. You know, the JADC two for the future warfare. I would just say, simply stated, Overmatch is really having military superiority. It's when the sum of our military capabilities outweigh our adversaries' capabilities, and it's usually focused around achieving military objectives from competition before conflict, through crisis, and then into armed conflict. The combination of those capabilities, it's not only the equipment, the modern equipment that we have, but it's also how the forces are trained, organized, you know, are they led by great leaders and uh, have superior people and talent in in their formations. I would say another um, sort of common sentiment that you hear a lot of times from army leaders is that we never want to send our soldiers into a fair fight. We want them to have the advantage and for our adversaries to not even want to pick a fight with us because we have such an advantage. And that's the outcome of overmatch, Shante. Hmm. So I'm curious, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but would you say that this is more focused on defense or offense or both? Yeah, it's really both. But in the context of the way the Army fights in multi-domain operations, it's an offensive concept or doctrine. But you have to have ways of protecting your formations even when you are engaged. So think about the European theater and the use of UAVs to identify where formations are and then the ability for the Russians in this case to deliver long-range fires. You've got to be able to protect your formations um, in a layered defense approach. Project Convergence 2022, often referred to as PC-22, is a vast effort. By nature, the initiative is wide-reaching, with a lot of players involved. Leidos has had the honor of being selected to participate since its inception. I had John share more about what exactly Leidos is contributing. We know that Leidos has a lot to offer the Joint Warfighter, and those things are being demonstrated in PC-22. Really, the two two things that we're doing in PC-22, one is we won't talk much about today, but it's novel sensors that's coming out of Dianetics, and those sensors are being integrated into the network to provide information to the Warfighter. And then the one that uh, I think is useful for our conversation is uh, how we're enabling long-range precision fires to increase accuracy and the speed of delivering those effects, even in a contested uh, GPS environment and electromagnetic magnetic spectrum environment, where in both of those cases you're contested and systems don't always work properly, but you still have to deliver long-range effects. Hmm. So for someone that's not really close to this type of stuff, what is long-range precision fires? What is that? First of all, it's really, really important to the Army. In fact, it's their number one modernization priority. Uh, long-range precision fires are, um, again, another acronym, LRPF. Think about uh, if you've been to a revolutionary or Civil War battlefield and you see the rows of cannons and mortars. Yeah, it's taking us back a little bit. That used to be long-range precision, uh, long-range fires that day, right? They could fire cannons about 1,500 yards. That's under a mile. But it was not precise for sure, right? They didn't really know where those cannonballs were going to land a lot of times. So today, the Army has cannon artillery that can shoot over 43 miles, rockets that can shoot over 90 miles, 
a missile in development that can shoot over 400 miles, and hypersonics that are under development that actually Lidus is a participant in and delivering critical capability can shoot over 1,700 miles. So that's long range, right? You're getting way out in distance to be able to um, engage your adversary. And with the right guidance systems on those capabilities, you can deliver very precise down to, let's just say, meters to be able to hit your target. So we know that we can shoot that far, but long-range fires needs long-range sensors. You need to be able to identify targets at the range. And as a system, you have to have all these components. You have to have the ability to store, use, and deliver data across those uh, numerous networks to get the right targeting. So again, long-range precision fires, really the, the overall objective is to shoot long-range with the accuracy of very high uh, caliber uh, munitions and uh, combined with digital modernization, uh, the network to uh, deliver these things, it's a critical component of multi-domain operation. And it's going to allow the commanders, if they can do that, to, again, open windows of opportunity so they can get into the fight. They have to actually get in to be able to maneuver and then to pose multiple dilemmas to our, our enemies and our adversaries. What is Lidos' approach to modernization there? And how does it provide the operational advantage we spoke about? And we'd like to hear from you, Dan. To answer that question, it's probably best to set some context. So we, we've been working this for about three years. In 2021, we were invited to support the Army Futures Command Long Range Precision Fires Combined Functional Team, so the LRPF-CFT, uh, at Project Convergence 22, PC-22, with a product called CFATES. Now, CFATES is simply the name for a cloud-deployed instance of the currently fielded version of the uh, Advanced Field Artillery Tactical Data System, FATES, within a virtual machine as opposed to the standard Miltope laptop that's issued and used throughout the Army today. So that was one invitation. And the other invitation was based on our submission to the DevCom portal for Edge to Cloud, or as we refer to it, E2C. But these two efforts are symbiotic, as E2C provides a way to manage the remote cloud nodes from the enterprise, while CFATADS and the related microservices use that infrastructure to support LRPF fires capability. And so they live on that E2C infrastructure. So E2C is the utility and CFATADS is an appliance. And so that's how we think of it. And so those were the two reasons why we got into modernization because we were working both the cloud infrastructure and also the, the use of that infrastructure for a very specific mission set. So our work was really a journey of discovery. It's almost like a kitchen remodel that ends up going from a single cabinet upgrade to pretty much everything. So we really had to dig across the entire uh, portfolio and realized very quickly that continuous modernization became a key output. We saw that we could use the E2C infrastructure to provision and then continuously update any node and, and any software on that node. And so once that's in place, the only limitations to the rate of change is the policies and the capacity for change. So it really changed how we thought about modernizing capabilities uh, to the field. So when we talk about nodes, we're talking about small devices that are, that are out at the tactical edge. So given that context, here's how we approached continuous digital modernization. So the first is we provided an edge to cloud infrastructure and services to deploy a consistent cloud stack from the enterprise to small portable commodity edge devices at the tactical edge. So, and then second, we deployed legacy applications to the cloud, legacy applications being those monolithic software that's currently deployed, currently being used, 
put those on the cloud. And then once we did that, third, we developed microservices to connect, enhance, and adapt those applications and extend them. And so what that enabled then was several key benefits to the Joint Warfighters information systems. Uh, microservices enable incremental refactoring of legacy code. So in other words, if you have uh, code that can be replaced over time with lightweight containerized microservices, the user's experience can remain the same. So there's no impact to training, there's no impact to readiness, while in the back end, many of the processes, the, the computation, other factors are being done much faster, much easier to maintain, much easier to update. And then also the code, it can be continually modernized. So we've proven that we can provision and manage a cloud node from any authorized node to any node. So if a node's connected to a network, it can be provisioned and sustained. You know, doing this connection, the very act of doing these connections, these microservices to connect application A to application B, is we're identifying data producers and consumers. So what this produces then is a data catalog as an output of the data as it is, not as we hope it to be or think it is, which is critical. And this is really critical to enabling data as ammunition, which uh, the Secretary of Defense has said and, and uh, Secretary of Armies have said, data is now ammunition. So the first part to that is identifying what data is available in your current ecosystem and then managing that. So that that's a key output. So at PC22, we're demonstrating the operational advantage of the cloud to the tactical edge even in disconnected, austere environments, which by nature the tactical edge is. So does this mean that the end user has to go all in on the cloud or can there be a hybrid approach? Not at all. In fact, at PC22, we're demonstrating fire mission threads across hybrid environments. So for example, CFATADS, that cloud deployed of ATADS, it's deployed on the Army Enterprise Cloud, but it's also deployed on an edge node. Think of a subset or a piece of the cloud that gets disconnected from time to time. And either instance then can connect to a standard legacy Miltope FATAD. So when artillery soldiers go to the field today, they bring a FATADS on a laptop, it's called the Miltope, and we can connect to that from the cloud and it can interact seamlessly. There's no there's no difference. So that's one type of hybrid environment. So while the impetus for cloud computing initially was to offload data centers to shared lease resources, you know, we quickly learned that the cloud concept was useful in an enclave, so in other words, a subset. And so this common host running commodity hardware could host these applications locally while reducing the bandwidth demands. Because if an analysis is happening locally, then I don't have to send it back to some central processor to be analyzed and then return a message back to me. I can just do it right there. So now I've reduced the bandwidth, which is at a premium in any space, but especially in the tactical uh, space. So edge nodes are essentially mini clouds that can operate disconnected and download updates whenever connectivity is reestablished. So they can run on their own, but when they're able to, they can connect back. And if there are software updates, data updates, or if there's software or data that wants to get sent back, that can be happen. And so edge nodes make cloud computing at the edge possible. So these are small, lightweight, low power, portable devices of different sizes. And of course, there's a, there's a whole portfolio, but that's what an edge device is. Kind of like our mobile devices. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. It's like your mobile device, except disconnected from the network and, and then use it. Right. I mean, that's because it's for when you're disconnected. If you're a firing battery, you have to move quickly and constantly. You cannot stay in the same location and you have to expect 
there's going to be periods of disconnectivity and you have to be able to operate in that and still deliver fires, still know where you are, still have the right information at your fingertips and then reconnect when you're able to and get the the latest uh, push back from the cloud. So are there other areas that E2C, that's edge to cloud, (laughs) that can be applied for modernization purposes? We're using the fire's use case because, again, with LRPF, or long-range precision fires, being the Army's number one priority, there was some real uh, energy there to to make this work, but it is not constrained at all. And uh, so we've built several other mission threads. So these are basically test cases or use cases, including a biometric checkpoint mission, a counter-unmanned aircraft engagement system, a sensor data fusion system for targeting, data exchange for predictive and uh, logistics, and a deployment of other C2 applications. So C2 is command and controls. So I mentioned FATADs. Each of these use cases demonstrated the utility flexibility and advantages of this cloud deployment, providing a common baseline for continuous enhancement now into the future. The applications for this type of modernization are plentiful. Digital modernization in general, outside of the military environment, is something that Lidos has a lot of experience in. We did a deep dive into this, specifically when it comes to the cloud, a few episodes back in our conversation with David Chow. If you're interested in learning more about how the cloud enhances security and improves user experience, you should check that episode out after we're done here. But one of the concerns with modernization is keeping up with the speed of innovation. It often seems that just when you've figured out new software or a piece of equipment, the next upgrade is already waiting for you. This is a challenge that Lidos is always working on, and the result is building that never-ending ladder mindset right into the modernization approach. The first assumption is is that software is never done. All software is subject to upgrades, fixes, adaptations, enhancements. Really, the question is how frequently can you issue and deploy those changes? So how frequently can you issue and deploy those changes? So the first reality is monolithic or large applications are very hard to upgrade because every change has enormous ripple effects, which requires a lot of downstream testing and potentially has other impacts. And that has a cost. So, you know, the other kind of fundamental assumption here is that if change is managed as an exception, the only the exceptional things get changed. But we've just assume that software is constantly changing. So we have to treat everything as if it's a constant engine of change. So this constancy means a different approach. So for example, uh, you know, in contracting terms, if the government could issue indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts to vendors for something called Sprint as a service, instead of writing requirements and saying, build me this thing, it could say, I need a team of software engineers or developers that can build me things as they become necessary. And so that would be a service, almost like you a lease of a car or a, a lease of anything. And so that's considered sprint as a service. So that can be budgeted. And really the only constraint is how much change over time. So if you want a lot of change in a short time, it's a different budget than very few changes over a long time. But those are both predictable. So for example, if you have that IDIQ contract and you left that to a sprint team as a service, you could actually do the same, let's say the same effort to two or three vendors, select the best one, and then that one goes and follows that through its life cycle. So those people know that microservice or service as well as anyone, and they 
live along with that and see it through its full life cycle. But because the the size of these services is so small, uh, the government could afford to have multiple vendors competing against each other. And so that would drive down costs, that would increase speed, that would increase uh, proficiency, and really get the best product to the warfighter as quickly as possible. We really recognize change as the norm, not the exception. It, it just is. And so cloud computing, microservices, and continuous modernization provide a framework for this continuous digital change. So we leverage DevSecOps and continuous integration and continuous delivery, but those are not ends in themselves. Those are techniques. What we're talking about is how do we, from end to end, from concept, feedback, idea, need, all the way out to pushing it out to the, to the soldier at the point of need in as little as time as possible to the greatest capability as possible. That's our focus, and that's what we're providing with this approach. So one question for you, John, from an industry partner standpoint, based on what you've seen so far, is this concept actually going to deliver? It's critical, actually, from an industry perspective, the technology is there with the right types of contract mechanisms that Dan just talked about. Lidos in particular is leaning forward to be able to deliver and uh, having the right continual interaction between the Army and industry and what's happening with the experimentation at Project Convergence, getting soldiers out in the dirt together with uh, technology experts and uh, better understanding what's at the realm of possibility, and then adjust requirements and go after these new capabilities uh, that we can deliver those. And, and so really, from, a, from an industry perspective, absolutely. And I have to add, from sort of a national security perspective, we have to deliver this. You know, you think about um, great power competition, we can no longer afford, you know, the inefficiencies of what might be referred to as stovepipe solutions in the services and a stovepipe domain approach uh, with the platforms there. This has to be multi-domain. The nation needs the Department of Defense really to fully commit to this new paradigm and horizontally integrate across the services so that we can share data, seize any advantage that that synergy can provide. We're seeing tangible progress. As Dan described, you know, we've made progress in the capabilities that we're providing. Even beyond Project Convergence, uh, you know, Lidos is now on board with ABMS Digital Infrastructure Consortium with the Air Force. Our team's working with the Air Force Rapid Capability Office and, and other partners to establish a digital framework for these integrated capabilities. And all of these together across the department, they're going to help the Joint Force realize this vision of JADC2 and the concept of future warfare to be successful against any future adversaries. Again, that was John George, Vice President and Army Senior Account Executive, and Dan McCormick, Program Manager of C4ISR Solutions. If you want to learn more, check out lidos.com slash defense. Thanks again for joining this episode of Mindset, a podcast by Lidos. If you like this and want to learn even more about the incredible tech sector work going on to push humanity forward, make sure you subscribe to the show. New episodes will be live every two weeks. Also, feel free to rate and review. We're always excited to hear your thoughts on the show. My name is Shante Newby. I'll talk to you next time.